Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin, thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to another episode of Backspin, brought to you by Inside Golf Magazine, Australia's most read golfing publication. My name is Larry Canning, as always, sitting next to me on my immediate right, Australia's best golf coach, in my opinion, is Gary Barter. He's right there. G'day, guys. Thank you, man. It's an unusual show coming up, guys. I, I suspect we will be doing an interview, of course, with um, Victor Hovland's caddy, Shay Knight, getting to the bottom of all the things that were the Ryder Cup that we were watching thousands of miles away on TV. That, that should be amazing. That will be brilliant because he's up front and uh, he'll tell us exactly what's happening and a lot of stuff, I believe, that uh, maybe the media haven't quite covered yet or haven't announced or maybe even announced incorrectly. So Shay Knight is, is our feature interview for this show. We're also talking to, and, and I say talking, I was going to say interviewing Rob Willis, the new chief editor of Inside Golf, taken over from David Newbury. But I think it's going to be more like a three-person roundtable conversation. Knowing Rob, knowing you, and geez, I, I know me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to Rob. He's a great guy. He's very entertaining. He's been around the world. He's played a lot of stuff. He's He's been a very good player, as you know. He's going to have a very good coach, which brings me back to the point, what happened to me, guys? What, anyway, moving on from me. It's not about me. So we'll be talking to Rob, and well, I think we'll be just having it, like I said, a general chat. So we're looking forward to that. Tip of the week, Gary, we don't really have one. I, I, and I'm going to ask Rob if he wants to offer one up. Perfect. And let's just go well, can't, with Yeah, it can't, can't come from better than Rob. No, there's not many better. He can, And he can speak beautifully. He writes beautifully. He's a beautiful bloke. But can he give he's a golf tip? not a bad look. Can, can he give a golf tip? That could be a challenge, actually, <laughs> couldn't it? Yeah, because he's been, he's been away from the game for a little while. We'll be talking about the Ryder Cup. Of course, that's uh, that's why we have Shay, Shay Knight, Hovland's caddy, on with us. Um, we'll be talking a little bit about live golf. And we'll be talking about the game of golf in general in the in the world as it's playing out in front of us. End of the year coming up very soon. So there's all sorts of Australian stuff we'll address in our next show. But this show, we just want to talk mainly about what's just gone on before us. So in the world of golf. So after this sting, we'll be right back. Well, Gary, there's probably no one better in the world to tell us exactly what went on at the Ryder Cup than Victor Hovland's caddy, our mate, Shay Knight. He's on the line from Charleston in America. Charleston, South Carolina. How are you, mate? G'day, Shay. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to Backspin. To kick it off, Shay, just an overall image, uh, memory of of that entire week, being part of the Ryder Cup from as close to it as you can physically get. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, a couple of years ago, or last year, actually, we were whistling straight from our behinds handed to us in more ways than one, and uh, to go out there in Rome, which is one of the coolest cities in the world, and uh, beat the Americans on European soil and keep the tradition going from the last, I think it's, what, 24 years or whatever it is. The Americans have uh, beaten the Europeans, so it was just, it was an amazing experience and something I'll obviously never forget. Why is it so hard to win away? What is it? Honestly, it's the crowds. The crowds are just, especially in Europe, they're a lot more respectful in Europe you know, just the songs that they sing and the passion that they show. Yeah, it's something that, you know, unless you're there, you, it's really hard to explain. But, um, you know, obviously I've done whistling straight, so a little bit meaner. The Americans, you know, try to get personal and get mean and get under your skin that way, whereas Europeans, they just sing and sing and <laughs> sing. It's, it's an awesome experience. And, and the course setup as well, there's obviously a lot of effort and time and thought into the course and the setup. Yeah, most definitely. And obviously that was spoken about a lot, about 
looking at all the data, looking at all the analytics, looking at all the stats, looking at the Americans' games, looking at the Europeans' games. For you, obviously, you've got a big role there as a caddy, caddying individually for Victor, but also I presume when you guys are having team meetings, all, all getting together, talking about the strategy, when you were planning, especially for Victor's game, was that something that it was definitely more challenging that week or is it something you just did, that's what I do every week, you know, I know how he plays, I know his strengths, his weaknesses, the strategy? No, I completely understand what you're saying and, and that's the thing, like we spoke about that before we even got there. We went for a practice round the Monday before the Ryder Cup when we are over in uh, London playing Wentworth, so we all got together and you know, spoke about. I think that's the reason. Well, I know that's the reason why they had so many gravel par fours because they knew that the American wedge game was better than the Europeans wedge game. So they had four drivable par fours because of that reason. The Europeans were a lot straighter. They were a lot better drivers of the golf ball, and they were a lot better putters. So to take that strength out of their game and make it a strength for us is the reason why they did that. That's the physical side, guys. Shay, uh, you know the. The preparation in terms of yardages, how to set up the golf course, but the emotion, the passion. Is there a, a bigger golf tournament in the world, Shay? By far, no. No, it's not even close. You know, obviously you get Augusta and everyone wants to win Augusta and and play really well there because, you know, from you know, from my perspective, it's the holy grail of golf. You know, it's like St Andrews a couple of years ago when Victor was in the hunt, like to win the British Open at St Andrews, that would be an amazing experience as well, but... You know, the, the pressure that comes with, you know, being in a team environment, you know, for Europe, which has so much passion in itself, uh, it makes you feel like family walking in the doors. And, it's, you know, everyone just wants to win for everyone else instead of, you know, because golf's such an individual sport. You know, when you're constantly playing for yourself and, or not, I'm not playing, obviously, but Victor's playing for himself and myself, now we go into a team environment where you're playing for, you know, 11 other guys that, I, I can't describe, but, you know, it's an unbelievable experience. It's interesting you say there, Victor, playing for himself or and us in terms of you and, and him. And, and this is something I want to get into your head a bit about, Shay. The, being an Australian caddying for a European in the Ryder Cup, it sounds like you just felt like you were just part of that team. And it didn't matter whether you were born in Zimbabwe or Ethiopia or the moon, you were part of that team. Is that is that right? And that's, that's what they make you feel like. Um, obviously, I've got both my parents are from England, so I've got an English passport. But, you know, I was born in Australia, obviously. I, I, I was obviously got English blood. But, you know, to, to be in that environment and, yeah, it's just, that's a, you hit the nail on the head there. It really was an amazing experience. I don't, don't really know what else to say about and, it. And what about Luke Donald? Like the captains, they, you know, looking at Zach, looking at Luke, yeah, this happens many, many, many months out, 12 months out. There's constant interviews. There's there's constant pressure on those guys. How was Luke that week? How did he, obviously he had a great week and he was very successful. But how was he, you know, behind the ropes, team meetings? How did he handle it all? He's very level-headed. He's, you know, there's, there's no real emotion that comes from Luke, and I think that's part of the reason why he was such a good golfer back in his heyday. He, you know, he showed no emotion and did all his talking with the golf clubs. And that's kind of what I felt in the team room as well. Like, you know, there wasn't really that much passion, shouting and cheering, and, you know, it was very level-headed. It's, you know, this is what we need to do. You know, even after Saturday when Patrick Tanley made that part and, you know, there was a... Them making that point gave them an opportunity to have that comeback on, on Sunday. And, you know, Luke just came in and, you know, he said flat out, you know, if people gave us this opportunity at the start of the week, we would have taken it straight away. So, 
you know, you need to take that on board and go into match two tomorrow and, you know, win your individual match. And that's exactly what you needed to do anyway. And that's exactly what they did. So. Yeah, that was a big moment for the US, wasn't it? Obviously, you got a lot of press that Joe LaCarva, the controversy with Rory, mm. the emotional, you know, Shane Lowry, very emotional on the putting green after the match. Rory, you don't see Rory getting the shits like and that. And yeah. that gave them a bit of a glimmer too. That extra point was big going into the no, last day. And, you know, my view when I looked at it, you know, even though there's emotion, even though there's a lot of feelings, obviously, I thought Joe didn't handle it that well. He, you know, maybe in retrospect, he might see that. So you were on the green that when that happened, right? Yeah, I was. I was probably, I don't know, 10 yards away or whatever it was. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't far at all. And I saw it, you know, firsthand. And, you know, I think, from Joe LaCarva's perspective, I think, you know, looking back on it, he probably, he, he knows whether he admits it or not, he knows he's wrong because, you know, it's all well and good. You know, he did the celebration and, you know, everyone, all the Europeans were giving Patrick a hard time because he wasn't wearing a hat mm. and, you know, they were waving their hats around and then Patrick obviously made the putt and Joe was waving the hat around, which is more than fine. Like, you know, that's him rolling up the crowd and doing what he does, but... When it's time for Rory to putt and Joe's literally standing right where he's going to put the ball down and continuing to do it, and Rory says to him, you know, get out of the way in not so many words, but and he not move, and then Shane Lowry get involved, get off the green, and you know, it was just, it was way too much. I don't know, I think he just got... I think uh, it definitely got the better of him, that's for sure. Joe LaCarva, you've had much experience with him. You would have caddied in groups with him in it. Is that out of character for him? Very much so. I actually really like Joe. I respect him a ton. You know, he's obviously been around for a, a number of years. He's caddied for some of the best players in the world. Freddie Capels, Tiger, and now he's caddying for Patrick Canway. So, you know, he's obviously got the respect from everybody. And, you know, I respect him. I really like him. But, you know, for him to do what he did in that moment, I, you know, lost respect for him. I wouldn't say... You know, it's a game changer, but, you know, it's that situation where, you know, as I said, he's going to look back on it and go, yeah, I probably overstepped the line. He hasn't actually said that. He hasn't admitted to any fault, has he, over this? And then everyone else seems to be apologising to everyone, but... You know, Freddie Couples came out and said exactly the same thing. I didn't think he did anything wrong when, you know, I think if the shoe was on the other foot, then they would have been saying the complete opposite. So, you know, it is what it is. You weren't anywhere near the car park, were you, when Rory was tearing strips off poor old Bones? I was actually in the car behind him. So, <laughs> what the whole thing unfolded. It was, yeah, it was quite, quite funny, actually. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, Rory anything like that? No, exactly. No, it was, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the the, Europe, the Ryder Cup brings out a lot mm. of passion in so many people. And, you know, Rory's definitely one of them. And... You know, for him to show that emotion shows he, he obviously cares. The thing about sport in general, competitive sport, is that the people that navigate their way right to the top are very, very, very aggressive in their competitiveness. And we, as golfers, we don't have that head-to-head combat like rugby league or NFL or or tennis. Uh, we we have to do all our talking with the golf clubs, so there's no physical component. But it, if there was ever going to be an environment, the Ryder Cup would bring out the absolute 10 out of 10 competitiveness in somebody. And and that emotion definitely spilt out. I was surprised, even just during the week, Shane Lowry, who Shane is the loveliest guy, but that week he really got rolled up, didn't he? Just generally, not about not about that incident, just generally with the emotion of the, the playing, the revving the crowd up, the it was it was it looked it looked a little out of character to me, but I did have to appreciate I I, I have not been to a Ryder Cup. I've, I've been 
to a lot of big championships, that Ryder Cup looks incredible from an atmosphere point of view and a competitive point of view. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I think, you know, Shane, I think that's the reason why he got a captain's pick. He's not only a good player, but mm. he's a great team player as yep. well. And that's, you know, you look at, you know, the likes of Sergio and Poulter and, and who's the other guy that I'm missing at the moment, Westwood, uh, you know, getting captain's picks back in the day. The reason why they got the captain's picks is because, you know, the, what they brought mm. outside the table, you know, getting the crowd rolled up and doing what they need to do from a team perspective. And that's exactly what Shane did. So kudos to him. Yeah, and I, I found it interesting too that the most of the American team really hadn't played much competitive golf after the final FedEx Cup. I felt that interesting. And I also found it interesting that there's no doubt about it, if someone like a Dustin Johnson, even though he doesn't have his A game now, or a Patrick Reed, or a Bryson DeChambeau, if one of those guys had got a captain's pick, there definitely would be a different impact on the tee with that competitiveness, that you know, I'm sure if you're sitting on the tee and you're looking across at Dustin Johnson and, and DeChambeau, you, you probably would feel that this is a big match. Whether they've got their best game at the moment, just from a purely combative point of view, is that something that you know, the Americans might have missed an opportunity there? Or even to, even to put in a Lucas Glover, who's playing great, hits the ball very straight. That course yeah, would have suited yeah, him. Yeah. Like Keegan Bradley's another guy, which I mm. thought... Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's really amazing. He's a great driver of the golf ball and... But loves, and they loves the battle. That type of, yeah, they needed that type of player around that golf course because, you know, that's what it entailed. So, you know, I, I truly believe that, you know, in this situation, uh, Zach Johnson, you know, picked the good boys club, as we may yeah, call it. Yep. You know, Justin Thomas played well enough to, you know, deserve the pick, I think. But did he deserve the pick initially? I don't think so. But, you know, once again, from the outsider... You know, the way he shows so much passion, you know, it's hard not to pick him. But, you know, you look at someone like Jordan Spieth, he didn't play well at all, all week. Brooks Ketka, you know, he, he didn't really play that well. Yeah. Um, Scott Scheffler didn't play well, although he was a, he was already an automatic. But, you know, there was none of the Americans that, that showed up and, and showed the passion that, you know, I think a lot of guys could have brought to the, to the table. You know, you, you talk about the likes of, you know, Patrick Reed, for instance, who... You know, not many people respect him, but no. he is very passionate for America and he loves that team atmosphere. So, you know, it, it, it all depends, you know, what these guys are looking for, but, you know, I, I think Zach Johnson definitely dropped the ball, that's for sure. What about the, the so-called talk of players getting paid, caddies getting paid? I don't really know what to say to that because me personally, I don't even think twice about it, like... You know, I'm up at 4.30 in the morning. Mm. I get back at 8 o'clock at night, you know, where I'm, some days I'm doing 36 holes a day, although, you know, we, we didn't make it that far on, on a number of reasons. But we played every day. You know, I worked my tail off, and I didn't even think of worrying about getting paid. I, I know mm. that the players, the Europeans anyway, they don't care about it. They just want to play for Europe and play for the Ryder Cup. I think that's very American for whether it's the media that's getting involved now, I don't know for a fact. I don't even know if you know Patrick Cantlay is actually saying that. I, mm-hmm. I I don't really read into it, so you know I don't really have anything to say on that. To be Stay honest, far away from me as you can. I'd say, show yeah, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, I think there's it's a couple of different issues, and it'd be one of those arguments that would be tough to win 
It can only damage the brand, can't it? And the brand well, is clearly I think, the uh, yeah, best I think brand of golf in the world we see every two years. It is, it is. But it can the, only damage. I think the the thing about it is there's obviously monies that are that are made from that event. Yeah, huge yeah, amount of monies. Yeah. It could be the hat manufacturer that's selling memorabilia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It could, it could be someone who's having a a concession stand who's making coffees. Mm. But there's a lot of people that are making money. Mind you, we're asking Shay. No, there's about, a lot of people about, making about money. About money, and he's just, he's, no. his charge just won yeah, the FedEx yeah, it, goes, it goes beyond that. It goes, it goes beyond that because yeah, you, you, you got the guys that are yeah. playing, that are playing, the entertainers and the, and the people that are working, and, and there's a lot of other people that are making a lot of money at this event. And we can talk about it going back into the coffers and growing the game, but there'd be, you know, if you, if you did a, an order of it all, yeah, and it, I, I, think, I think there should be some... Basic payment for the players. Oh, is that right? I think. Okay. I think. But it's easy. The players can't say that. That's the thing. Yeah. Sorry, show your comment there. There's a stipend that we get, but it, you know, it, it just pays for tips for the week. Like yeah, it doesn't yeah. pay for. No. You know. You're told. It doesn't or put you, money in your bank account that you're going to go. Oh wow, that, that's mm, amazing. Mm, mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. So, but you know, once again. It, you're not really there for that. And no. I understand that, you know, both the American, the PGA of America and, you know, DP World are making probably $200 yep. million dollars yep. each yep. from, you know, the Ryder Cup. And that pretty much pays for the DP World for the year for, you know, all their prize money. Yeah, so, course. you yep. know, the yep. money goes to back, back into the, the game. Yeah. So, you know, 12 players, 12 best players, both from Europe and America, playing against each other. And, you know, it's pretty cool. The other thing, Shay, getting back to your man, Victor, and you, you've, you've obviously both had an amazing few years and I remember when you you got together with Victor back in the day and you've had a great relationship and you talked to me and Victor's came out publicly and it was public pretty much knowledge that he had trouble with a lot of his short shots chip shots bunker shots and he's made an amazing improvement in the past you could correct me if I'm wrong but would it be 12 months or not quite 12 months it's pretty much when he started with uh, Joe Mayo, which was yeah, pretty much February. Right, so and Joe out, not so. even twelve months. And Joe is famous for being a, like, a TrackMan expert and data expert, and uh, I think he called himself the TrackMan Maestro. That is correct. How did that original relationship start? How did that contact get together? Was it just a an introduction from where? No, it was, um, so it was back when Victor was playing for Oklahoma State. Joe was there, and they met. Joe never coached Victor, but no. Jeff Smith was really good friends, who was Victor's previous coach. Good friends with Joe Mayo, so you know, Victor loves poker. Joe loves poker. Jeff loves poker. Uh, they would go and play poker. And Joe is very mathematical. Um, he believes in the math. He believes in the science, and Victor's very analytical as well so you know it was two guys that came together and you know i think the biggest thing was you know joe made him understand that you know simple math you know especially with chipping whereas you know other coaches would have tried to change because the way he chipped the ball you know with his wrist angles etc etc with obviously getting into a lot more than you know, the public want to hear, but yeah, that's pretty much how they got involved with each other and just went from there. So. so the philosophy was, it wasn't so much, you need to put the ball back, you need to set your left wrist, you need to get, but it was more about Victor, your angle of attack is not steep enough or Victor, your face is not open enough or Victor at impact your, it, was it more, was it more about just looking at those numbers and 
The basic philosophy of it was was what? He needed to do what? Well, his angle of attack needed to be steeper. Yep. His weight needed to move forward instead of back. Yep. Um, Victor's chipping back in the day was, you know, he, he pretty much tried to flip it. And he had his weight on his back, not on his back foot, but he was trying to lift the ball in the air and, you know, trying to get shallow, whereas Joe is saying the complete opposite. Yeah. He's saying get forward, you know, get the angle of attack steeper. He's like, you know, between, between 10 and 12 degrees down on the ball, you know, with a, you know, 20 meter pitch. You know, it's, it's a lot steeper and, you know, he's just moving forward in the ball and he's hitting, you know, spinners all the time. It's, whether he's coming out of the bunker, Bermuda, doesn't matter what type of grass it is. Whereas, you know, before, if he got on Bermuda into the grain, it was, you know, it was difficult to watch. Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah. Inter- it's interesting because it's, it's like the philosophy that you and I grew up with. Like, you've always, exactly. been, you've always been a great chipper. But it has been interesting the last, it's got to be 15 years, the word shallow is just driving me insane. <laughs> no, it's feeding can drive me insane. I know no, a lot of people who are No, be- because it's this overall philosophy of, they talk about using the bounce mm, and you've mm. got to come in shallow. Yeah, it's been but, ever done, isn't it? But somebody, if they do that incorrectly, you, you'll end up mm. selling hamburgers. You won't be on tour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So exactly. Do they but, sell them in Norway? Yeah. They, no. <laughs> no. No, but clearly from my point of view as a golf instructor, just watching him chip, like to hold that chip, was it the second hole of the Ryder Cup? Uh, that, that's, that was the first hole of the Ryder Cup. First hole. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. But every yeah. chip looked like it could have gone in. Well, every look, chip was the perfect speed. This is Victor for the whole week that I could see. Shay, that you might correct me if I'm wrong, but every no, single chip he so hit was just yeah. perfect. Yeah, no, but his bunker uh, play. Whole, like, he hit some unbelievable chips. And, his bunker and play. And that's what you need to do in match play. You know, that's part of the reason why, you know, I felt I was such a good match player is because... You know, such a good chipper and yeah. butter. Well, we should yeah. mention we should mention that Shay won the club championship. We should Australian. mention, yeah, because as soon as you said yeah. that, when now I'm thinking now we've got to explore Shay. We haven't, I haven't asked Shay a thing about himself yet. <laughs> no, well, need to talk about me. No, no, it, it, it is. It, it, no, it's a lot of the, a lot of the top caddies are pretty decent players. Shay, I'm they? feeling Gary's going to take some sort of credit here somewhere along the line. No. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I can feel it coming. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. So tell us, yeah. what's it like walking out through that little cauldron, walking onto the first tee? What's it like? What's the atmosphere like? Uh, you- it, it actually gives me goosebumps thinking about it now. Oh, you know, really? There's so much emotion that comes out. Oh, yeah. There's times where, like, when I'm walking through, I've literally got to, you know, it takes your breath away. You need to take a deep breath and control your emotions. You feel like you're you know, not going to cry, but, you know, you feel wow. you're, you're still getting amped up. And, you know, you take that deep breath and you go, okay, let's go. And, you know, it's the, the crowds, the songs, the atmosphere, that words can't describe it until you actually go. It's something that if you're a golfer and you love golf, going to a Ryder Cup is, is pretty special. Jay, it's been fantastic talking to him, and I hope we haven't bored you. <laughs> we haven't kept you awake. I don't know no, what no, time no. it is over there, but thanks again for being part of the show. We would love to have you on again very soon, if it's okay, and um, and good luck in the future. Thanks, thanks Jay. Cheers, mate. Thanks, thanks so much, thanks, Jay. Guys. Thank you, mate. Bye. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter.
Well, Gary, Inside Golf has gone through a small change, in fact, a rather substantial change over the last couple of weeks. Chief Editor David Newbury has now stood down, retired, will still be a contributor, wonderful writer, but Rob Willis is taking over. He's a professional journalist. He's also a member of the Australian PGA. He's played the tour. He's played in America. He's played everywhere. He's won, and you're part of that because you've been his coach and um, and also caddy, I believe, in America. So Rob is on the line with us now. Rob, I think this is going to turn into more of a three-part roundtable discussion. Yeah, that's perfect. Yes, yes. Anyway, welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, boys. Rob, you've just taken over. I think we call it chief editor, do we, of Inside Golf oh. Magazine. We know, even though some other magazines might disclaim it, that we are the number one most read publication, Rob, in the country. It's written on our website, so I'm going to say it. I believe it too. So you're transitioning from a career in, well, a lot of things, PJ Tour player, a very good one, winner in, in Asia, winner in uh, Europe. You then went from there to the football realm as media... Media manager, media yeah. Manager. Tell us about that period. And uh, was, was there any golf involved with that period? Did you still play or was it just full-on football? Football's pretty much all-consuming these days with the media media uh, chasing all sorts of different stories and that every day. But um, I played a little bit of golf, but... And when I turned 50, which was a little while ago now, I, uh, I dabbled in some Legends Tour stuff and played a couple of... When the footy season would finish in October, November, I'd go and play you know, half a dozen or a dozen uh, Legends Tour events, yep. which was good fun. Uh, I certainly can't get rich, but they're good fun. And uh, that was about the extent of my golf, really. So 20 years I was at the Sharks, or a little wow. over wow, 20 years, um, which was interesting. And now instead of watching young um, footballers or football or rugby league, I'm worrying about golfers and watching WA PGAs on the yep. TV and yep. watching kids I've never heard of and who I need to start hearing about. So it's all good fun. You went through a lot of bizarre issues. I can't think of better wording for that. <laughs> While you were with the Sharks, didn't you? Can you remember? Yeah, just, just bizarre. Did... Bizarre could be a word used. Yeah, we had a few things go on. People say I should write a book, but I'd need yeah. to hide away in the mountains. Yeah. I'd, have to, <laughs> I'd have to give up a few blokes if I did it. So I'm <laughs> not sure if that's going to happen. But right, yeah, I had some characters, as you could say, come through the club. Uh, Toddy Carney was a shark for a while, and yeah. Josh Dugan and Andrew Fafita was always kept me on my toes. Yeah, there was some interesting times for sure. God, you had some rippers there, didn't you? How, how big is Andrew Fafita? He's a big man. I saw him in Apple. At Miranda. What's in Apple? What's, my, what do you mean in Apple? It's a, getting my mobile phone repaired. Oh, in, a, in an Apple store? Yeah, oh. and and I walked in there, and imagine you, you walk in there, and there's a guy there that's head and shoulders above every other human in there. Like, he, he was the biggest... Like Yeah, and he could move back in the day. That's where that's yeah. why he was so good, you know. He could turn his legs over, and he had some leg speed. And oh, my God. He was, uh, he was about as good as it got for the big men back in... You know, probably 15, 16, 17, he was awesome. So, um, yeah, Andrew was a character, and he's still around the Shire and still bumping every now and then, and he's still loud, but uh, no, he's a, he's a good fella. The culture of that, compared to what you're moving into now, Rob, <laughs> is there any strings? Is there anything that's connected between those two? Oh, just the, how competitive everybody is. You know, you watch the golf, and I watched a bit of it yesterday, as I said, interesting, a lot of young guys that I don't know a lot about yet. Um, I'm going to find out some more. But everybody's competitive. The footballs are mega competitive. You know they mm. want to kill each other and and get their job done to to win games. And golfers are no different. So I suppose there's a there's a bit of a synergy there, but not too much else. You know the, the football are a different breed as far as what they put themselves through. And but then again, they probably couldn't stand on a practice range and hit balls for six yeah, hours, which yep. golfers need to do. So 
it's all relative, I guess. Yeah, different muscles and stuff, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Will you be sympathetic to my late filings of my columns, Rob? <laughs> let's get let's get this on air. You were pretty good this month, at Larry. I don't know if that's just to try and impress me first up. That's but, exactly uh, what no. that was. <laughs> You're ahead of time, but I have been warned. I have oh, been okay. warned by the previous editor, David. That, David Newbery. Uh, Keep on the case with Larry because uh, he's not always the first one with his uh, editorials to come in. I'm not sure. I'm not sure um, whether how much I'm going to love David. It'll it'll depend on you, Rob, over the next, over the next few months because he was he was gold. Richard Fellner before him. I used to struggle with Richard because he was well, American. Davis, he didn't Michael understand. Michael Davis actually from Melbourne likes me because I think David used to write him really hard. So ah, okay. so far, Michael Davis and I are getting on really well. Yeah, that's, um, that's a tough I'm one. Sure that's, that's a point towards anything. <laughs> Controversy, I'm thinking, coming up. Good stuff. <laughs> Rob, so moving forward for you, step one is obviously to get to know a little bit more about the, the current stock of your young players, to get to know how late some of your, your columnists are. It's almost like you're getting back behind the steering wheel, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, it, a lot of people read Inside Golf, as you know, and it's entertaining, it's brilliant, but it's bloody busy. It's a lot in it, so think, is it a bit daunting? The, yeah, it is a bit. I, I guess this first one, I'll sort of put the feet under the desk to try and get organised as has been interesting to read the stuff that you don't see in the mainstream. You know, I, mm. I turn on the golf every week and on the Monday morning or the Sunday morning, I watch the, the last couple of days of the golf, the, whether that be the men or the women or Euro. I like Europe overnight. You can watch the European stuff mm-hmm. before you go to bed, you know, overnight. And uh, so I've been keeping up with that. And you know those guys, but, um, yeah, the, the kids playing around the country and all the little things going on at golf clubs around Australia, that's been interesting to, you know, get a bit reacquainted with all that. So... That's going to be the the challenge for me to to get to know all that sort of stuff and to keep my finger on the pulse, you know. So and there's it's, also it's a st- good. there's a strong connection with the punter golfer, the uh, the amateur, the, the the club players. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what I mean. So, which is good. I can hopefully I can rely on guys like you know, like yourself, like Mick Court, like uh, um, David Newbury and Peter Owen up in Queensland. They're, they're amongst all that. They love it. They knock around with those sort of blokes all the time and and get the good stories. So. I'll keep uh, driving those blokes and hopefully they can keep the content going and we can let everybody know what uh, the club golfers are getting up to around the country. Rob, we just interviewed Shay Knight, Victor Hovland's caddy. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah, 100%. and it was, uh, it was an amazing interview. We talked a lot about the Ryder Cup, stuff that hasn't been talked about in the press, stuff yeah. that inside the ropes, inside the locker room. Talked a lot about Victor Hovland's chipping, the philosophies of what he's been moving towards that's gone from a guy who can't chip it in front of himself to now can chip and chip quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in detail of what they've worked on to do that. Rob, Gary and I have been talking a bit about live golf earlier in the show. Your thoughts on the world rankings now not being upheld, so they, they are not going to be receiving any world rankings for the near future unless they change some things. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, look, I can see why they've done it, and I probably don't 100% disagree. The disappointing thing would be that some of the good players on live, and there's a handful that are going to start missing out on majors, which is a shame if the current status quo remains the same. But when it's hard to offer world rankings points to a tour that you know you get on because they offer you the checkbook and money, and they sort of cherry pick players to go on it. Like there's no, I don't know, is there, is there a pathway to get on live? Is there? Yeah, there is. It's not very many. The response from Peter Dawson about refusing world ranking points, that was one of the major points, was that the, 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 okay. the pathway through is too small. Only four players, according to yeah. his his report, are eligible to get on that tour every year. And there's players on there that may not be playing as well as they should be. Yeah. Um, look, uh, look, but, Gary, but it would have been retained because they're, they're high-profile players. And I think Gary's that's the issue. gone 
been at events, and I haven't been to a live event. I might, I might like to try and get down to the one this year in Adelaide if it if it goes ahead. But the, the thing is that there's there's great the standard is great, but Gary, tell me if I'm wrong. But in reality, there's probably 15 blokes out of 48 who are going to be a chance of winning the tournament. Mm. Um, you know, you look at a PGA Tour event, and people and live supporters will knock the fact that Joe Blow might win some weeks, and you don't know who he is. But he's beaten 148 guys, and he's worked his way onto the PGA Tour. Like, oh, I don't know. I just doesn't feel comfortable where the live guys are. Realistically, Chase Kepka's not going to win, is he? On the on live, and these days probably Poulter and. Westwood and some of those guys aren't going to win anywhere really anymore. So yeah, look, there's no, there's no doubt about it. The longer that live, and I've been to, I think there's been twenty events now, and I've probably been to twelve of them. Yep. And they're good tournaments. They run very well. As you said, the standard is is very good. But what I'm what I'm noticing it's it's a bit like if someone's eating lobster every night of the week. After a while, it's like, please, I just can't look at it. Just give me some fish and chips. Just, <laughs> just, just, just give me some sausages, something, just anything. You are the king yeah. of analogies, no, aren't you? No, no. But I, but what's happening is that, as you said, it is down to a dozen players, and it is good. It is good to see Lucas Glover come from the back and have a chance of winning the FedEx Cup and and retain his playing rights. It is. It is. It is even even back in the day. You'd remember when Tiger was dominating so much, it almost got boring that he was dominating. Yeah, and yeah, so always. so that that and the other thing with Liv is that it just doesn't feel like they're playing for. Well, it's true they're not playing for big championships. There's not that that feeling of no. if, if Cameron wins in London or if Brooks wins wherever in Washington or wherever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay. It's important to Cameron, isn't it? But it's not really important yeah. in the big scheme of no, world golf. No, so, The yeah. only thing I would say is that when they call it a world ranking, it's really just a ranking. It's it's really heavily biased towards the PGA Tour of the points, number one. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure. Oh, I don't disagree there because you look at the, the standard of the DP World Tour, it's pretty good standard. Like, they've gone and won the Ryder Cup with a – the majority of their team play in Europe, you know, half mm. their team are European players, not PGA Tour players. So there's great players over there, and they they don't they don't get as many points as the Corn Ferry Tour, do they? Or no, it's it's it, that, there's got to be some there's got to be some shake up in in the actual presentation or the, the the points that whatever that wherever the algorithm is. Now I wouldn't I wouldn't be against live getting. Even if it's a small amount of points, and only to the first three players that finish first, second, and yeah. third, something. something well, maybe it, you the, know, maybe it's up to the majors to say, "Will, will you know, Cameron Smith's already qualified because he's a winner. Whoever else is qualified because they're a winner, we'll give another four spots to live, and live can work out their own ranking and how they work it out, and, and uh, the next four, you know, from that get in the US. Yeah, well, that was that was that was, that was I think that was Matt Jones's solution. Larry and I had him on quite a while ago, and, and it could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as that. Every major they give three spots to live. Whoever's yeah. whoever's leading their their point system at that time, something simple like that, because it does get down to the fact. Because that, that's going to be the shame that guys are probably and Gooch was, I guess, the example this year. World class, playing well, doing well at live, and didn't get in the majors. But 
I don't know if the Lee Westwoods and Polters and no, I agree with that. They're, no, they're, they're, they're complain too much about no, no, they're, 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 no, their days are over. No doubt about it. God, yeah. that's depressing, guys. The world golf rankings people, Peter Dawson in charge, they were going to rejig, revisit the whole structure of world golf rankings. Now, the only thing that I've heard since this process has begun was the other day about live golf not getting points. I don't know what else they're changing. So there could be a bucket of more changes to come that we'll hear of maybe before the end mm. of this year. So that could be, all these issues we're talking about could be addressed. Live golf, I don't clearly that system of maybe the top four or five each year get a start in the majors, it, it, you know, may not work now. I, I don't think... Well, we still haven't heard anything well, about yeah, this amalgamation. This yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Which we're supposed to hear about in not very long now, isn't it? Like December 31, it's supposed to be set. It's not going to happen, is it? They're not going to be ready by then. I'm not sure. Well, there's no whispers. You usually get some whispers, don't you, about what's happening and there's been nothing yeah. written or spoken about. So you'd be surprised at all. Interesting whisper I heard, and I don't know whether you've heard this, the last meeting, uh, that the the public meeting that Jay Monaghan had the, with the media, not just the, the internal one with the players, he was asked at the very end by uh, Eamon Lynch, the angry Irishman, is there anyone else interested in taking the position that the PIF fund would take financially in the, the PJ Tour? Is there some other person, some other party involved in negotiations? Jay very quickly said, yes, there's a lot of interest from other parties. Now, mm. that, I, I, you can't imagine. They'd want to have a fat wallet, they'd wouldn't they? They'd want to have a massive one, Rob, because, the, I mean, they're going to want a return. If, they, if they're going to spend literally billions, they're going to want some sort of return plan or budget or, you know, it's like when you're, when you're budgeting for the, for the magazine each month or when I'm budgeting for the, the pro shop for well, how many cans of Coke I'm going to have in the fridge for next month. I mean, you've got to have some sort of plan. Meat pies. Well, that gets complicated, the pies, Gary, as you know, because you've got to keep them hot and there's sausage rolls involved with that. That's much more You don't put too many in the oven because then they, yeah, you'll have to throw them out at the end of the day. Yeah, but there's there's two sides to it, Rob. You've got to be so careful with it. How much is the pie? How much the, what are the ratio? What are the margins on that pie? Can you sell it at risk of it poisoning someone? Possibly, yeah, because it's been there for a month. You were sponsored by Ping. and And whenever a Ping player had a victory anywhere in the world, They'd make up a putter for you. Yeah, yeah, I've got a putter. Yeah, I've got a putter. Oh, you got the but gold yeah, one. They made the wrong one because I was pretty good at changing putters. <laughs> they made the wrong model. Like, I used a PAL, and they, used, they gave me one with this long hosel that I'd used for like a week and tossed it away, and that's the gold putter that I've got. It's the wrong one. The ping don't get anything wrong. You might have just exposed a massive floor. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so you used to ping my day when you were a kid. And well, I remember you threw that. You threw one of those into the bush at at New South Wales Golf Club. I, I remember we, we were playing, and you hurled it into the salt bush, and we couldn't find it. Could or did we find it? <laughs> what hole? Then, what number hole? I'm thinking. I'm trying to think. Early? I'm pretty sure it was 16. I'm oh, pretty sure. I've still got two to go. I'm pretty sure it was 16. Uh, yeah, and then I think a couple of birds flew out. When, when the putter went in there. Surely, I don't remember losing a ball in the salt. That is a good memory. I remember throwing a few in the salt bush. No, I don't remember losing one in there. No, so I, might, it I think we found it. It took us a while. But then, so the pal putter, that's the one that Watson was famous for his career, wasn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. was it? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. See, Paul Rose is going to be happy with this. I used that yeah. one at the, at the New South Wales Amateur 101. I won with the pal putter yeah. back in the day. Who'd yeah. you beat, who did you beat in that final? Wayne Stewart. Oh my God! How long did that take to to get that file done? That pot. he was the next big thing. He was, yeah, but he was player. so he was slow. Good, good guy, but shit, he yeah, was slow, wasn't he? he was slow. Yeah, very talented. I drew him in the New South Wales Open once, and and uh, he was an amateur, and my caddy knew him, 
um, and he said, "This we, we'll get pulled up, we'll get pinged, we'll get pulled up." And after sure enough, after seven or eight holes, we, it was painful. Yeah, and in yeah, comes yeah. Um, Nan, Bruce Nan. What was oh, his Phil, Nan, Phil yeah. and Bruce Nan was one of the Nans. Still alive? I don't know, but he he just looked at me and said, "Look, Laz, I know it's not you, but I've got to ping. I'm not ping you all, but I've got to warn all three of you that you. I don't know if they had the clock back then or whatever method they used to penalise." Said thanks, thanks, Phil. Um, I'll do what I can, and I'll. And then he said, and then, then as he's walking away, he said, "I'll see you on the 12th. <laughs> I said, "Oh no, this isn't going to end well for all of us." Yeah. Have you got a tip, Rob? Do you want to do a tip, guys? Do you want to give a t- Rob a tip this month? No, I'll give Rob the tip. Have you got a tip, I don't Rob? know. I don't know tips. What do you mean tips? <laughs> I just play. Hit the, ball, hit the ball further. You were a fader, weren't you? You was a bit left to right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like that's my preference. They all fade it now. How come they all fade it now? You used to want to well, you hit can't, it well, You can't hook it. You can't spin it. You can't get in, in under it and, and top spin draw it. Gary, you might... You know, I know you just took a big deep breath there because I, I, I dare I have an opinion on the, on the mechanics of a golf swing but in front of the great man. But uh, that's a good question. Yeah, no, could, look, there's no doubt about it. When you look at that shot trace, there's a lot of guys fading it now, isn't there, off the tee? Because it, it, it's too hard to draw, isn't it? Uh, it's just a fact that... Consistently. The, with, the, with the ball, the driver, hitting up on the driver... And it's definitely the the fade is not like people would think either. It's not this. Mm. It's not this thirty yard uh, yeah, slice. Yeah. It's like a hammered sort of low spin fade. But there's still guys that draw it. Like it took, Adam it, Scott. It took this, a long time for for a bloke like Rob and, and me to a lesser degree to flatten out your your left to right flight to make it flat because we we're using wooden clubs or, or tiny little steel heads and. Rubber golf balls. Well, Rob's Rob's, yeah. ball, Rob's ball striking never let him down. He just didn't like. I suppose the, it was the putting for you, really. You know, yeah, toward, yeah. Toward toward, 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 toward. I remember. Toward yeah, when we were when we were at Royal Sydney. You know, one of the might have been one of the last Australian Opens you played, or toward the end. Like you hit the ball amazing, but you you struggled like getting the ball in the hole, and it's yeah. and you putted. Mind I suppose you. when you won and you putted, you played your best. You putted well. It's just the fact that that ultimately got you in the end. You just didn't make enough putts. Didn't have the right, the wrong putter, clearly. Ping, ping gave him the wrong putter. That's right, ping gave me the wrong putter. Mind you, being a dwarf like I am, I don't know how you compete these days because if you don't hit it 300 yards, you're not in the game, really. Is that shortened people's careers, Gary? Given the, how yeah, look, hard Rob, they've Rob, got to hit it Rob, and Rob, got to be? Rob wasn't that short back in the day. Like, like... No, the, real, no, the reality no. was when you were playing, you might have been. I, I always say to everybody that I teach, you, when you look at, even now, if you look at a a tour field, you've got eighty percent of players that hit the ball within twenty yards of each other, mm. and then you've got the ten percent gorillas, and you've got the other ten percent that are shorter than that. Now that could be a that could be a Ches Reevy or a you know back in the day a Gavin Coles. Now those courses they they'd need a, a fast course. Hardcore, yeah, small yeah, greens, yeah. and if you look at different setups in Australia, especially Australian summer, like you guys, length wasn't a problem. Like, no, like no. I remember, I remember when Stoltzy called me and he he said to me he'd play practice rounds with you or Conran or uh, Nico Hearn. He'd always tell me how straight you guys hit it. He he wasn't worried about length back then, but but that's in Australia, right? You yeah. go over there and you're looking at the length of these courses these guys are playing and. Oh. Every part falls about four hundred and eighty yards, mm. you know. Like. Yeah, and the biggest thing we noticed too is that on that on the PJ tour, there is rough on the PJ tour, but it's not 
it's it's not that invasive. Like you look yeah. at how they set the rough up for the Ryder Cup. Now, when the Americans are offline there, like Jordan, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're they're in turmoil. Whereas on a general PJ Tour event, other than a major, that light rough, 10, 15 yards off the fairway, there's no problem for those guys. Yeah. You know, so and they also figure I'd rather be 110 yards from in the rough in the than rough. 160. Yeah, in know? the fairway. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They hit it hard as they can because they'd rather bad, have the reckon. wedge instead of the six iron. There's, did, yeah. did Bryson DeChambeau kind of invent that? When he won the US Open, yeah, he did, didn't he? No, well, he did. yeah, I think I think Mark Brody, I'm pretty sure that's his name. He authored a book called Every Every Stroke Counts, and he had all the mathematical analytics on how your score was compiled. And he he came out with the data that proved that if you were hitting it further, it was like an advantage for you to be an eight iron in from the rough compared to a six iron from the middle of the fairway. And then Bryson went down that path of hitting it as far as he could, finding it like, like slash gouge and took just the track man into the rough with him in practice rounds to to, to gauge the spin and the and the launch rate and the speed. But then he he sort of went a bit overboard and he got pretty crooked and that that wasn't working. And then he's now gone back to more normal golf. He said to me, "Well, he's covered up in neon leaves again now." So yeah, well, he said to me at Greenbrier that he's he's gone back to now. He doesn't really want to get much more than about 185 miles an hour ball speed. He said there's a point of diminishing returns after that. And when I looked at Eccles yesterday, he hit a tee shot. I think it was on the 14th hole yesterday afternoon and they had the track man numbers and they worked out that he was about 180 miles an hour ball speed, which is still a lot. Like you're talking, yeah. that's that's a lot. It's still enough. But Bryson was up around the 195, 200. Yeah, okay. But look... Bryson's body's trimmed down a bit. He's yeah, gone. Yeah. He's gone back to, and he's he's definitely playing better golf. I've seen. I've said this before, but but that that tournament in Adelaide, the Live Golf Tournament in Adelaide, where where you and I spent a bit of time together um, on the range in particular, I was watching because you, you warned me. In fact, I think we interviewed Matt before the event. We we're asking you know what to expect when Live arrives in Adelaide. What the Australians don't do to expect. He and you both spoke about Bryson DeChambeau and how much effort, how much work that guy does off the course in terms of practice. Um, and I, I thought, the guy's got that much money. How could he possibly? He's gone to this, this different you know, form of the game where you get money anyway, whether you play badly or not. How much really is he putting into it? And one I saw it in Adelaide, it was, it was a thing to behold. He was first there every day, last to leave every single day. It was dark. Yeah, he's a VJ Singh. Unbelievable how much work he put in. Yeah, he's a special breed, isn't he? He's a special dude. Well, he, he's the one that's going to be a shame when he's US Open runs out. Stuck yeah, in exactly. Face. You're right, Rob. Yes, yes. And it's yeah. went, and uh, the other's coming out. It's coming soon. Which brings us to, I think, the end, Rob. I think we've got to go. It's <laughs> Don't watch YouTube is my tip of the day. <laughs> go and see your PGA <laughs> professional. There it is, Rob. On that note, thank you so much, uh, new chief editor and compassionate um, editor at that. Thank you for being part of the show, Rob, and we'll get you on oh, a regular basis. Thanks, mate. Thanks, boys. See you later. You're tuned to Backspin with Laurie Canning and Gary Barter. Well, that's all from us for this show, Gary. I found it fascinating. I love talking to Rob Willis. Shane Knight, wow, he was the experience of being at a Ryder Cup as close to the action as he is on Victor Hovland's golf bag coming down at 18th, 17th, 
winning the cup almost, you know, I, I think it's it's something that we all need to have done once in our life. I know you've been to US Opens, Masters, British Opens, every PGA's, you've been to the lot, but this, and I know you haven't been to one of these, this sounds different, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think, think, we need I to think for Shay to be at the coalface, one of the best caddies in the world, with one of the best players in the world, the Ryder Cup, Arguably the biggest event in world golf. I don't think it's arguably. I think it's just flat out the best. That Everyone that plays in it goes to it, sees it, commentates. And being like a friend of ours, to get some insights from Shay was incredible. Mm. I've enjoyed the show, guys. I know we'll be back. We'll be addressing the Australian summer coming up soon. Who's coming out to play and who's not. But between now and then, thanks for coming, Gary. My and pleasure. And thank you for listening, listeners. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>